0: This episode is sponsored by the Financial Due Diligence Framework course. If you're doing any type of financial analysis and participate in M&A, strategy or turnaround projects, you absolutely need to check out this course. By completing this comprehensive video course, you'll be strongly armed to analyze the P&L of any company and to be able to provide actionable, insightful reports. This course teaches you how to properly understand the methodology of how to conduct thorough financial analysis and what is important in financial due diligence. If you're looking for a career in transaction services in one of the big four, in a transaction services boutique, or to be a better private equity professional or M&A associate, you'll get a solid foundation to land your next job. And as a special offer, if you use the code District, you'll get $100 off the entire course made specifically for our listeners. So if you're interested, go check out horizoncapital.com slash learn due diligence. Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the dark side of SaaS, SaaS management, security, and controls. Today, we have our guest, Andrei Christ, joining us. Andre is the co-founder and CEO at LeanIX, a SaaS for managing enterprise architecture and multi-cloud environments for better, faster, data-driven decision-making. André is passionate about enabling companies to build better products and transition to a modern IT architecture. And he's experienced as a management consultant. And during his studies of information science, he built modern software for both startups and large enterprises. He's a global thought leader and has spoken at several high influence industry events, including the Gartner EA Summit, Hamburg IT Strategy Days, and Rethink. So welcome, André. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today.
1: Thank you, Akhil. I'm excited to be part of the show, and um, it's a pleasure to speak to you today.
0: So I want to get right into kind of the the concept which you speak a lot about, which is called the the dark side of SaaS. Which you know, it's not it's not highly spoken of, um, and it's kind of the challenges you know CIOs face, CFOs, and IT leaders. Um, can, can you you know speak to our uh, people listening in, our audience?
1: What exactly is the dark side of SaaS? Yeah, I think. It's always about two sides of the coin. First of all, I love ZaaS because the huge ecosystem provides endless possibilities to increase productivity or to improve customer experience. And you can evaluate and get a ZaaS solution in place super fast. But this comes with the other side of the coin, which is questions about employee productivity. Are all the ZaaS solutions really used? Cost efficiency. Do you really need all those subscriptions you have purchased? And security. If you log into your systems, is that secured through single sign-on? Because SaaS is purchased often in a decentralized way, so everyone can buy it with a credit card, you easily lose track of all the SaaS solutions. So that results in the need to actually keep that transparency on in an automated way. And this is where, the, where we now come in and help organizations figuring that out. So it's a it's a massive problem. We experienced this ourselves uh, at LenaX where we have like 400 employees, um, $1.8 million in IT spend just for SaaS. So easily, if you look at that, we're paying roughly $5,000 per employee per year. So the problem easily gets substantial.
0: Mm, yeah. Who, who would think about that, right? Just how quickly it adds up. Uh, you know, as you as you start adding it, and everybody using their own kind of platform that they need for their own for their own job, yeah. Um, and you know, speaking more about x for for those who don't also don't know, what is you know enterprise architect management, SaaS intelligent, microservice intelligence. I mean, and why is that important for SaaS founders to understand? Even you know myself.
1: Yeah, let's let's talk about enterprise architecture management first. Okay. The key idea here is to enable companies to transform their IT landscape and manage risk. What does this mean? It means understanding the enterprise on multiple levels, from the strategy level over the business architecture, the applications, and down to the technical level. So you can imagine that there's like a big initiative going on that the company wants to become more multi-channel. So that's kind of part of the strategy. It breaks down into new capabilities to deliver the multi-channel. So, for example, adding mobile sales or um, potential um, ways to purchase services via, via phones and so on, you need specific applications for that. And in the end, you need technology to power this. So enterprise architecture gives you this holistic picture and then helps you take decisions how you come to this target state. This helps you, for example, if you launch new products, if you merge businesses, if you implement different strategic platforms into your landscapes, or if you need to modernize your legacy IT stack. So that's all around enterprise architecture. And it's relevant mostly for companies starting with a specific complexity. SaaS management or what we call SaaS intelligence is all around discovering software as a service and optimizing cost and productivity. So addressing some of the challenges I mentioned earlier. Microservice intelligence is more on the side of product teams who build own software, for example, as part of a software as a service a company is providing. Easily today as teams are building more and more smaller software components on different tools and using tool chains like CICD or even low-code, no-code platforms, it is so much harder to lose track of all what is built. With microservice intelligence, we're helping those companies to keep track of all their software, they're building, their services, and ensure that the teams getting productive, and that the software they're producing is reliable. So if you think about like those three topics, they go all the way from making sure that the software you are purchasing on the market is in a good state, like the software as a service, that you actually transform and improve your existing IT landscape and that the software you're building, for example, for your own products, that that is reliable and your team has a great output. So these are the the three topics which are specifically important, I believe, for growing companies um, and um, what what LinaX is today tackling.
0: Uh, you know, I just want to dig deeper into the, the the idea of you know SaaS intelligence. You know, where you're optimizing, you're managing your subscriptions, where you have so many softwares across so many different employees. Uh, but you know, super powerful in terms of tracking, improvement, adoption, optimization, you know, your cost. Uh, but, w- you know, is is this kind of solution for everybody or would you say, is there a certain stage or type of SaaS company that, you know, they start, you know, looking at a solution like this and, and why?
1: Yeah, look, like I mentioned before, um, at a company size where you have maybe 100, 150 employees, you start to have a, a significant sum of money going into SaaS subscriptions. We, we, we see, and this is proven also by market figures, you end up around like four to $5,000 US dollar per employee per year. So this ends up in a significant cost. So I believe that the topic around SaaS management starts to become super relevant in this in this range of 100 to 150 employees, because then if you systematically manage it, you can actually not only generate cost savings, because that is, I feel the trap here. It's not just about saving money. It's also about ensuring that the solutions you get from the market, that they are really used. So I, as a, as a CEO of a fast scaling SaaS company, I have an interest that the tools we've put in place that they are really used because in the end it means also we are following the processes. So a a simple example, many companies use Salesforce as their CRM. But if you see that out of like, let's say the 50 salespeople you have, only 40 salespeople log into Salesforce on a regular basis, something seems to be fundamentally wrong. So for fast growing SaaS companies, it's not just about, or it's specifically not about just cutting costs. It's about ensuring productivity. And the other topic is, if we as a company go to market, our customers ask us to be compliant. For example, be SOC 2 compliant or ISO compliant. In order to do that, you need to make sure you have certain controls in place. And one of the topics is to make sure you have only uh, users and employees in your systems who are still active. And are with the company. So you cannot afford to have people accessing your crucial data who have left the business or changed roles. So that's why with SaaS management platforms, you can identify those SaaS systems in your business, which haven't been secured, for example, with a single sign-on solution. So it's it's not a cost topic. It's also a part of how do I grow my business? And that's why I believe it plays a role on the agenda of a CEO.
0: And yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So if I'm a SaaS founder, uh, you know, and I have a hundred, 150 employees, I'm kind of getting into that stage. Can you maybe share some best practices so maybe that they can start, you know, optimizing
1: their overall SaaS management and productivity? Yeah. look, I think the, the, the first best practice here is often like the rule of 2080. So what we see is that 20% of the SaaS applications Um, sum up to 80% of the cost. So if you think about Salesforce, Office 365 or G Suite, then many companies have HubSpot in place early on and then they might roll out Slack or Zoom. So if you, if you focus first, really prioritized by the number of users or the spend and then think about optimizing them, I think that's for that. That's the, the, the very fundamental way to do it. The other is be careful of not establishing too many manual processes. So for example, having a person running around behind all the people and trying to understand for who is using what SaaS and so on. So that is not a scalable approach. You need to put in place a way to automatically detect changes in those SaaS systems and also understand if someone has like purchased a new subscription. So that's that's a that's an important thing and third is with SaaS, we have now this whole topic about renewals so you probably know this often a week after you've renewed the software it's almost like striking oh my god so if we would have looked at this renewal a couple of weeks earlier we've renewed the software for like 30k 50k 100k uh, for the next 12 months but we have we have we we have not seen the value of it so we could have downsize the cost if we have only new, known before or we could have gone to the vendor and say like we want to expand give us a better rate for the next 12 months because we're increasing the usage so typically getting the renewal dates right um is a crucial step because there's a lot of there's a lot of potential in there too nice
0: and what about on, on security because i know we we, t- we mentioned that at the beginning of the show um do you have any kind of recommendations or, or best practices on Uh, you know, the SaaS security and and any insights you can share there?
1: Yeah, look, I think our key use case is to provide visibility, which SaaS systems are connected into single sign-on today. I believe with solutions like Okta, OneLogin or Azure AD or other single sign-on providers, it is mandatory that as a company, you early on start adding your SaaS solutions into single sign-on. I know from from our history at Linax, we have started this um, after a while and made sure that all the critical systems are in there. And it has paid off because as you grow as a company, you have more employees coming in um, and and join the business. And if you are going for a SOC 2 certification or an ISO certification, you need to do a regular access review. And that can become a very painful and manual process the more ZAR systems are not connected to a single sign-on, um, uh, sign-on um, provider. So that's something I would really recommend to establish early on, even if you're only using a few ZAR systems. But if you intend to build a big, huge technology business, adding a lot of employees, I, I think you're better off uh, putting that in place early on.
0: And who's generally the person who's uh you know managing that that role, right? So you have a lot of people coming in and out, you know, giving them access, uh, you know, s- setting them up and making sure, you know, when people leave, uh, you know, you're managing that. Is there somebody you kind of like to define that, you know, this is your, your kind of role and should be taking that on? And keeping track?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And this role probably evolves over the growth of a business. Yeah. Typically you have a sysadmin who takes care of Rolling out laptops or um, or or, uh, or email accounts to new employees, and also make sure that those are decommissioned. So in the early days, um, you have also maybe someone looking at your internal uh, support desk. Um, later, you have people in in your finance department who take care of the cost. So those are the initial like two three people who have. A genuine interest in it. We at Linux, for example, we have added uh, a head of information security over time who took care of our compliance. So that person has an interest too. So that's, that's like, I would say the in, initial group which drives forward um, the interest. So it's clearly not just an IT topic, but it's also a security. And a finance topic, and over time, of course, it is in the interest of the CFO to set up a good IT procurement team, and for the CIO in an organization to set up a good infosec and IT management team, making sure that all the business systems the company has is actually under good control. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense.
0: Um, and then switching gears, you know, talking more about the the microservice intelligence. So we hear you know, organizations are taking approaches where they're using spreadsheets to manage it or they're building their own catalog, like, you know, LinkedIn or Spotify. What would you, would you say this is the, the best practice or is it better? And, and, you know, what is the advantage of using a third-party solution versus versus that way?
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, if you are a LinkedIn or a Spotify or maybe also a Netflix, you have a ton of resources and you have a big team to actually spend time and money on developing such solutions. What I always say is like, not every company is a LinkedIn, Spotify or Netflix and you should not reinvent the wheel. Especially now, cloud native architectures and microservices are part of this new wave is becoming mainstream. So it's no longer that you should be venturing in an area where there's not, not so much tooling around. So what we see is there's many, many, standards establishing in this space. Kubernetes is one of the most prominent examples of it, which is more or less like a de facto standard of how to run microservices. So as much as you also don't build your environment to run microservices, for example, with Kubernetes, you also don't want to kind of build a solution to manage all the information around your microservices in your company. And this is where actually then Lina X as an example, comes in. And instead of you putting that into an own catalog or putting that into a confluence in a manual way, LinaX helps you to do that in a very automated fashion. So you can capture the information where they are created. So in the CI, CD tool chains, in the source course repositories, extracting them from monitoring tools, from security tools. So the the big push here is to make sure that engineers and developers have more time building great products and do not waste their time in documenting the stuff they are building i think this is an important aspect of it
0: mm. any other you know challenges you see like when when you know from the tech implementation side of you know having all these microservices within your business
1: yeah, look, I think there's, there's always those waves in IT, right? So there's a wave of, um, yeah, consolidating and going to bigger systems. We've seen that like 10, 15 years ago, where the big idea was, uh, let's, let's, let's put larger, uh, ERP systems into place. Now we have this big push towards more fine granular services, microservices who are s- connecting to each other via APIs. I think the truth is, it's very important to decide what's the best pattern for the job. For example, we at LeanIX started in a more monolithic way initially. So we didn't start with microservices in the first place when we were a very, very small company. And this allowed us to very fast iterate with a small team on on one product. As we're now branching out, of course, we want to divide and conquer the problem. We have now teams who actually build their separate microservices. But this comes at a cost of coordination. So as you have interfaces, we need to communicate to each other. Teams need to align on them. So it's always that question of like, how how should you cut your, your microservices? I believe personally that there's no other way around. Cutting software into microservices as you grow and as you scale, but you need to be clever about what is the right cut of it. Yeah, because easily, if you end up with too many microservices for uh, a size of the team, it can be also uh, quite challenging and overhead of maintaining all of the dependencies and all of the uh, the different assets. So I think that is that is probably not so much a tech challenge. It's much more, let's say. An organizational challenge of it.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, that, that makes sense, um, Andre. You know, I think you know something I, I came across is that you guys made an acquisition of a, of a company called Clean Shelf. Uh, you know, you know, especially at Horizon Capital. You know, we're, we're part of. You know, we do a lot of M um, and A. We understand kind of the strategic part of you know taking on a company. Well, from your perspective, what was the strategic fit that you guys thought of, and what was the thesis and objective of that acquisition? And if there's any data
1: you can share, that that'd be helpful as well. Of course. Yeah, look, so we we are observing the space very carefully since more than two years now, especially with the fast adoption of software as a service, not only in cloud-born companies like us, but also now in enterprises. It was very clear to me that there needs to be an increase of automation around this topic about how is SaaS managed? When we started originally, our products were centered all around this idea we, we need a single place where you can have a view on all the applications the company is using. Now, with software as a service, it becomes harder because you can buy it quicker, it is bought more decentrally by different business units, and it's a, it's it's good so. So that's why it was always clear to me that. Over time, we need to become more intelligent about discovering software as a service and helping organizations optimize it. And that's why we were excited to partner with CleanShelf and um, then actually uh, execute the acquisition um, because the technology of CleanShelf had been developed uh, for a couple of years. They had very good proof in the market, not only for small cloud-born companies, but also for larger enterprise customers who have used the technology and um, and tested it. So um, that, that's where the strategic fit comes from. So it allows us as a company, not only to deliver additional value to our now more than 500 customers, but it also opens up for us a way to help smaller organizations to manage their landscapes, and they might not be yet ready for a full-fledged enterprise architecture, but they still need to manage their software as a service. So it's actually like a win-win for everyone. And, um, and that's why uh, we were excited to complete this acquisition uh, in the beginning of the year.
0: Yep. That was this year in 2021?
1: Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It, um, that, that was, that was like in, um, in this year and maybe to share, share some, some data uh, on it. So, uh, CleanShelf is actually four years, um, or was four years in the market. So there was a lot of experience building the technology with machine learning, discovering the data from different data sources and then matching them against the ZaaS catalog. And now with CleanShelf, we have at Lina X three more Offices in Ljubljana, in San Francisco, and Denver. Uh, we actually got 40 new, very skilled colleagues uh, from from Clean Chef who are now part of Linax and more than 4,000 integrations with SaaS solutions, which allow us to dig deeper into the these these products. And of course, um, this this provides our customers now a million of opportunities to actually use SaaS. In a more productive way and optimize their their portfolio. So um, we believe it's a great fit for us.
0: So, so the fit wasn't and the play there wasn't you know entirely financial play. It was more you know here this is the team, this is the product. It fits really really well, and this is how it's going to enhance uh, the value of what we offer to our to our existing uh, users. Right. Exactly.
1: So I think it's yeah. hmm. it's a very it's a very strategic fit uh, to to what we're trying to achieve. And we were excited that there has been great proof in the market by the team already—a proven technology, um, a, a go-to-market which is established. And now we're uh, we have paired this with up with our go-to-market teams in in order to deliver more value to to our customers and prospects.
0: Cool. So I mean, you're probably still in the the kind of integration phase and trying to get things kind of sorted out. Uh, how, how's that been so far with the you know overall challenges of like
1: the whole organization and fitting them in? Yeah, I think we've been fairly quick on the integration side because CleanShaft is so complementary to what we do at Linax. So, um, we, we, we early on had a clear vision of how it would fit into our existing product offerings and what we would give to our customers. So the two big things we're, we're, we're providing now and, and working on is making sure that not only we have a new standalone product, but also that our existing customers benefit from the Discover capability. So essentially every customer we have who is using our enterprise architecture suite automatically gets Discover uh, functionality already as of today. And everyone can actually uh, use that already. And in the upcoming weeks, we're now enabling that the data from the discovery is showing up in real time in their inventory, so their view on the application landscape. So and um and, and this is kind of on the technical part. So there has been immediate value by providing them with the scanning and discover capabilities, and the step which is now um conceptually completed and, and now uh for delivery in the next couple of weeks is to make sure the data flows in and on the commercial side we have um uh, gathered a lot of great experience now of the of the go to market teams um yeah selling selling the solution to new customers and um showing it to our existing customers so there has been countless demos um uh, so the team has been has been very very busy um showing showing the new solution Cool, and, and just
0: one kind of final question on that was was that a decision made from you know you you as a CEO to say like, what's out there we need this solution to fit in and this was a, an active decision to go out there and see you know what's applicable or was this something that kind of came your way and you were like you know maybe we should explore this this could be a good fit or you know because I, the reason why I asked this is because maybe there's founders who are building products right now and you know obviously at some point they, they want to get acquired or the, you know to exit um you know is that something how they should be thinking is like you know we build a really good product we will get noticed or should we say you know when we're at this some point we should go out and, and look for the right fit
1: yeah so look in in this case so like i explained we had a map of the functionality which we wanted to kind of own and not partner with third parties so it was always clear to us we would either have to build it ourselves or to buy it from the market. And um, over the last couple of years, Linax has raised $120 million from companies like, including Insight Partners or Goldman Sachs. And part of part of that investment rounds we've done was um, it, it allowed us to actually accelerate our roadmap. And therefore I reached out and evaluated a number of solutions and um eventually then we 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 found out uh, re- reaching out through an investor network um created the contact uh, to the founder of clean chef dushan and in that case uh, we we started speaking and um it was a good timing on on both ends and and this is this is how it started so i think in this case um it 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 was a reach out through investors uh, which obviously um uh, sometimes also, so, sometimes also a great, great way of doing that. But of course, I've seen other ways where companies who are like want to go to market, um, they they do it actively too. But probably for yeah, the the, the setup in our case, it was great that um, the timing fitted well together. Love it. No, thanks you.
0: That's uh, that's very helpful. Um, Andre, I want, want to switch to Gord's kind of more the the personal side, trying to understand you, your background, how you got to, to where you are today, um, you know, in, in a quick kind of couple of words, can you share kind of what's your background opportunity you saw in the market, right? You're a management consultant, uh, but you saw like, hey, like we want to tackle this and we want to build and launch, you know, LeanIX, you know, years ago.
1: Yeah, look, I started LeanIX, co-founded the, the company um, 10 years ago. Before that time, I worked a number of years at a global logistics company, DHL, and there I saw the challenge that if you if you are transforming your IT landscape, you need to deal with a lot of dependencies because you sometimes have a number of global systems in place, and they are connected to countless local systems um, in in the countries you're operating in. So if you imagine you want to upgrade one of those systems, um, well then what do you do with all those dependencies you need to understand them and then I looked to the market and uh, together with my co-founder we said like okay there's there's plenty of opportunity to optimize this and and this is this is how we got started in in the early days so it's it was clearly from the practical view that there is a that there's a, a big problem and this problem um, is only going to become more relevant as the digital transformation is going on. And and then we saw into the category of tools which is existing for us. So we didn't we didn't create like a, or it wasn't a greenfield opportunity. It was much more looking into a category which we thought was probably rather broken at the time. And then we thought about how can we how can we fix this category and make it much much better. And um, so so this is this is how it kind of started.
0: Very cool. And then you you know so you're a part of the founding team management team. You know CEO. And now you're managing 400 plus employees. How do you measure your own leadership success and w- within your own team?
1: Yeah, look, it's probably a very, very difficult question to um, to, to to measure it. I mean, at at LinaX, of course, you you can look at it from 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 different perspectives. Um, if if I look into the last like 18 months during the pandemic. We at Lina X have been able to create more than 220 jobs, um, in, in, in our company and have been able to get on board some of the, some of the most skilled people in, in some of our areas. And, um, I'm, I'm quite proud that, um, in, in, in these times now we, we, we kind of have more, and em- more people employed at Linax than we had employees before the pandemic started. So I think this, this emphasizes that, we can help organizations become more digital, drive forward the whole digital transformation and, um, getting, getting that opportunity, getting to that opportunity and making that happen. I think that is what, what I, what I measure uh, leadership success to. So how can we, how can we have an impact? On the success of our customers, um, and again, there 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 are so many ways of measuring it. So you can measure it by the net promoter score for how how your company how your customers evaluate yourself, by the company value towards our shareholders for our investors, by the feedback of our employees, um, how they like it at the company. So there are so many like different metrics to look at. But overall, if I think about it, then it's always like how can we how can we have an impact on on what companies do and and how can we increase that impact over time and um so uh look, looking at the last 18 months um i'm convinced that we we can actually help organizations really move faster becoming becoming more digital uh, becoming more insightful on how they manage manage their it
0: yeah, yeah, I love that as a as a as a core, right? So you have your goal of you know your lag in indicator, your lag goal of you know value and impact, uh, but then you're, you you kind of reverse that in, into you know your lead indicators, which is going to be your NPS score, your churn, your LTV. So the longer they stick around, the big, the more they you know expand and you know um, you know stick around. You see, okay, well this is actually working. We're actually onto something, and you want to you, you it gets you excited to keep building more onto it, right? So yeah, that, that makes sense.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Andre, if you were to start again today, what what would, what are some opportunities? Right, you saw this when you were working with with UPS, was it? Or sorry, DHL. DHL,
1: yeah.
0: DHL, um, and you know, you saw this opportunity clearly within. You know, now years later, you're pretty familiar with the market. If you were to start, you know, all over again today, and maybe some opportunity for a new founder listening in could tackle in the SaaS industry. Um, what, what would you suggest to them to look at? Yeah, look, I
1: I think. It has served us really well to solve a problem which we have experienced. Um, I think there was always founder teams who like screen the market to understand what problems are out there and then, then, then think about the problem, what, what, what is like the, the, the most promising problem and then approach this. Um, like, I can only speak about solving a problem, which I've experienced and, and I'm super passionate about that, that it's relevant. So I think that, that for me is an important indicator. When we started at Lena X, many people told us, so why on earth would you want to go in that small category? It doesn't make sense. There are vendors in it. It's not sexy. It's really like it's, it hasn't grown. So we faced a lot of objections um to what we were doing not only from like like friends or family or like investors who like didn't believe in it but i think we were passionate about the space and about the problem and and we, we knew that it's a real thing so i think sometimes like believing in 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 really what what this problem is all about? Uh, instead of just going by like an analytical an analytical way of um, wh- where can you build where can you build a profitable business and exit it fast. So I, I'm now in this journey since ten years. So it's not that we have started and and architected this business for for like a fast fast exit or fast return. So, but we've, we're, we're architecting this for, uh, for the long, longer run. Yeah. So for getting to the bigger picture and, and really found um, a technology company, which, which has a big impact in the world. And um, so, so th- this is, this is kind of what, what I'm, what I would say, what I would do again, if I'm out of the many topics, which I would do differently, pick one, Mm-hmm. I think I only learned about objectives and key results as a way to manage a company as a business probably like three years ago. So quite mm-hmm. far in the journey, I can only remember, uh, only recommend to other founders to start earlier with it. So I think at a company size of like 20 to 30 employees, it already makes sense. So if I had only like known about it earlier, it was, if it was more prominent, it, it would have been a, a bit better. So that, that's, that's, that's the one learning. The other learning is at Lena we did three years of bootstrapping. So for the first three years, it was only the two founders and, and one, and one other employee that was hurting us a lot in terms of how do we get the culture across and the rest of the team. So, um, th- that is what, this is what I would do differently. Bootstrapping is great, but don't do it for like three years. Yeah. So that's too long.
0: Hmm. Yeah. OKR is objective key results. That's a, that's a fantastic, you know, tool. If somebody, if you're not already implementing that, you know, start doing that today. A great book that I, that I recommend uh, if people are interested to learn more is called Measure What Matters. OKR is the simple idea that drives 10X growth by John, John Dora, if You've read it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a great book. If somebody's looking to, you know, kind of get in, uh, that, that's, that's a good book. Um, Andre kind of moving, you know, rapid fire questions. Um, What's one piece of advice you wish you had known and, you know, looking, going back in time, you would tell your, say, 25 year
1: old self. Yeah, look, I, I founded or co-founded Lina X when I was like 30. um, And I always played with this idea of, of, of founding, uh, founding a company. So I think I, w- I was always already in touch with with the whole ZaaS ecosystem. Um, I I would have loved to to have a, a bit of a deeper view into it. Yeah. So um, that, that is something. So it took us it took us a while to actually dig into all of that um, to to open up. So I was all, almost like after four years working for a great company DHL, I was almost like away in a different path, like in the, in the corporate world. And, um, it was a bit like here and there by chance to, to actually open up the mindset again for, for SaaS, for technology companies, for all of that. So, um, if I would tell something to my 25 year old self, it would have been like, while working in a in a in a corporate which was a great education it was very very important to me personally but be more open to what's happening left and right um in 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 the in the startup ecosystem so that's that's probably some 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 advice um i i i would give myself uh, because you you easily get like yeah sucked into a certain into a certain career path if you are not like like careful about it yeah Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a advice I actually give to a lot of maybe entrepreneurs who are looking to get into SaaS. Is like, you know, go work for a startup, go work in SaaS, understand yes. it, work with a high growth company, what it's like, the uh, yeah. ins and outs of that kind of life, and then I think that'll that'll open up a lot, you know, different world than working in corporate, right? Which will will help you along the way. Yeah, yeah. Andre, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in, in order to continue to grow Leanix? Meaning, you know, what's,
1: what's really keeping you up at night these days? Yeah, look, it's the man- many things keeping keeping me <laughs> keeping me up. Um, although I must say, I, I sleep I sleep well, so that's uh, that that's all good. So yeah, I mean, look, a, a company at our size um, obviously has has growing pains. Um, in the last eighteen months, uh, we've we've added two hundred and twenty employees in a time where communication shifted largely from largely into asynchronous communication and uh, a lot of Zoom meetings. So clearly. A key, a key topic I have is how do we make sure that we evolve our company culture, which has been fairly office-centric like two years ago. And uh, when you're like 100 employees, then then you you, you have this you have the spirit and the dynamic in the office. Today we have decided for a working mode which we call connected remote. Um, so we believe in the concept that employees now also post COVID. Will have a stronger influence on the way they want to work and where they work, and and that's why it it remains important. How do you connect employees to each other? How do you make sure that working for Lina X makes a difference compared to any other company? You can connect to via Zoom, yeah. So so that's 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 a key topic uh, which which is high on my priority list. Um, and then of course, um, as we're growing, making sure that we that we stay close to our customers. Um, so I think we we today and we have early on established a customer success team, which works with our customers and keeping keeping up that pace of innovation, delivering uh, improvements to the existing products, but also expanding into new areas and providing more value. So balancing this out. So not just going out and, and delivering new stuff and not caring about the existing customers. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that um that that we're doing this um this completely completely perfect uh, yet but this is this is kind of what requires a lot of attention to make sure that this doesn't get off balance because the early believers you have as a SAS business you want to keep them. You don't want to lose them. And because churn is the last thing you actually want over time. You want to have successful customers who go with you a long time. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: And I see you read quite a few books behind you on, on your bookshelf. Um, who or what would you say are your, the best three best resources that can be books, that can be people, mentors or people you follow, who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Yeah,
1: you actually picked one of those. So I will backfill, backfill one, one of the three you you had. So measure what matters from John Durr definitely belongs to that a bit later in the journey. As, as I said before, Mm. lean startup uh, from, from Eric Rees is Mm. probably the one thing I I read early on. And uh, I I think it's a classic. It's, uh, it's, it totally makes sense. The other is uh, the hard thing about hard things uh, from Mm. Ben Horowitz. Is something which is healthy for a founder in a, in a scaling phase because you're seeing that um, there are other companies who have challenges and and the way you deal with that. Um, if you're interested in marketing, um, there there's a there's a fantastic book uh, I discovered over the years called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls um, by by Latany um, Korean. So that's 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 a fantastic book. Um, which which I can only recommend because of course getting out to market is super important um, if you if you want to have your product being used and um, a part of that of course my board members Jörg, Thomas Teddy Ali Bernard um, who have helped me in different situations in in different ways and also the other other uh, members of our investors have been have been really fundamental um, in 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 that time giving guidance so um, the, would be probably the ones to, to mention.
0: Yeah, th- those are great books. I haven't read that one, though. No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls by uh, Latane Conantel. I'll have to definitely check that out. And we'll add it to show notes for people to, to check out. Um, uh, Andre, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's you know, in personally, business,
1: financially, life, I guess there's no right answer. Yeah, look, I think the w- w- what I feel, can, can we... Like, like it's all around, like, what impact, um, can, can we have as, as a company on, on, on the economy? But also what impact can, can we have on, on, yeah, the society as, as, as such? So let, let me, let, let you, let me give you a bit context here. So I think if, if, if I think about, like, inventing new stuff, inventing technology, um, what, what personally drives me, of course, is, that there haven't been too many technology companies being founded, especially over in, in Germany or in Europe. So I think we're lagging a bit behind. And and, and this is what, what's kind of driving me. If you only think about like SAP was founded 40 years before Lina X was founded. Yeah. And then you have a few other great companies in the meantime, companies like TeamViewer, Done a fantastic job. And then some, some smaller companies, um, also from, from, from Germany, like Celones or Zignavio or, uh, or others. So, but, but I think being able to kind of invent and, and found something and, and provide a way for, for people to actually take jobs, which, which challenge, um, the, the status quo. So, so that is, that is for me like success in the end yeah so if, if if we can provide that because it allows us to push 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 us as a society forward and um and and um and therefore it's um yeah it it, it actually kind of um so like uh, r- 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 rising the tide is like rising every boat yeah so kind of and, and i think this is uh this is what i uh, what i what i find find very important um if, if if speaking about success,
0: and what's kind of your end goal? Or is the IPO the the big magic magic day for you?
1: Yeah, look, I I get get this question every year and then, but um, I I think of of it a bit more differently. IPO is a way to kind of finance a business. Um, you can do like financing through an investment round, through an IPO, through nowadays through things like a SPAC and others. I believe more into like how much, how much companies can we serve? How much value can we deliver? How important can we become for the success of other businesses? And um, so this is this is probably harder to quantify and and express. But um, of course, on this journey, if we are able to actually serve a substantial number of, of global businesses around the world. And like I said before, we're now serving more than 500 uh, customers. There's like 50 global 500, 40 Fortune 500 companies within that. So we're seeing like the start of that impact already. And if we're doing that, and if we're doing that successfully with sustainable like um, customer retention, then eventually, an IPO is also possible and to totally meaningful. Yeah. But so I see it more as a, probably a lagging, uh, a, a lagging indicator um, of it. And I, I, I'm, I'm much more focused on like the, the leading indicators, which is, which is probably like things like customer retention and, um, the, the, the yeah, the, the market the market reach we can have. Yeah. Building, building a great company, right. Which
0: it sounds like you're, you're, you're on the right track. So, so keep it up um andre love 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 this interview love chatting with you and learning kind of about your background uh for people listening in founders or entrepreneurs who want to get get in touch with you learn more about you and your ventures how, how can they they connect
1: yeah look i mean uh, you could connect with me on linkedin um or um, um um if you are interested in what we do as a company of course uh, visit our website uh, leanix.net um so it's leanix.net and um, and and find out what we do. Um, and um, yeah, probably the best way is um, to find me. Find me on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome! Th- thank you so much, Andre. Appreciate
1: you jumping on today on SAS District Show. Thank you, Akhil. It was really great to talk to you. And thank you again for inviting me. Thank you all for
0: listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at horizoncapital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.